Welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, a show dedicated to podcast advertising. If you're a podcaster or an advertiser and you're wondering how you can take advantage of this rapidly growing space, you're in the right place. On the program, we'll discuss strategies and techniques to optimize your experience with podcast advertising. Hello, and welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood, and today I am joined by Brian Berletta. Brian is the new editor of Sounds Profitable Newsletter. It's a pod news newsletter that has just recently come out, and I'm excited to have Brian on the show today because he is all about ad tech and podcasting. Now, I know that for many of you who maybe have listened to me on the show before, you might say ad tech and podcasting? Do the two of those even go together? Because we haven't had a ton of technology in, in and around podcast advertising. But Brian is the guy to talk to when you have ad tech questions. He knows everything and has a lot of experience. And I'm excited to have him on the show. Brian, welcome. Thanks for being on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Great. So can you give us just a brief um, overview of kind of maybe your history and what has gotten you to this place and being so involved in the ad tech space with podcasts? Yeah, sure. It, it all started with the iPhone launch forever ago. Uh, it's so funny to think about how long ago that is now. I was just a kid in college obsessed with the iPhone and trying to make an excuse to be able to buy it. And I started an app review site and became just enthralled with that space. And then I got picked up by a company that wanted help talking to publishers to get them to install their app SDK or their ad SDK rather. And, and from there, I just got pulled into ad tech. I got moved from Massachusetts where I was living and going to school to New York and got to live there for about 10 years and, and dive deeper into ad tech, mostly in mobile. And then I was fortunate to join the ad adherent team, eventually spin off to the barometric team, which does attribution and podcasting, but originally it did attribution in, in all mediums. And then barometric was acquired by Claritas which was very cool uh, to get acquired by such a big company and have a breadth of additional data behind us. Then I moved over to Megaphone for a little under a year where I led data and monetization there for them. And yeah, it's just something about the space is so exciting to me. And it's been so great to be on the cutting edge of rich media and mobile apps and then move into all the crazy things we can do in podcasting with such limited information. Yeah. It, hearing your journey through all of it is so interesting. And the fact that you've decided to land in podcasting when really there is so much more rich data in so many other outlets is, is neat. What pulled you to podcasting in particular? When we were on the barometric team, I think it was Progressive specifically wanted to do something with WNYC. I believe it was with Art19 that we were working with. I could be mistaken on that, but it was such a cool idea to try and figure out what we could do with only IP and user agent. So many device graphs focus on, can you get the device ID? Can you get the cookie? Can you take that and match that to your database and then identify all the users in the household to then match that to anybody who took an action in any other environment? But we were basically given the challenge to try and do that for podcasting and we did it and it was successful. And then we double and triple checked the numbers because we were like, this seems like it shouldn't have been that easy. Like we, we expected to have to iterate on it quite a few times. So right out the gate, we were able to build a really cool product specifically for it. And we just, we all pivoted together. And it was just, it was one of those great examples of constraints breed creativity because we had so little to work with and we had to prove that we were as capable as we thought we were. That is so amazing. And so tell me at Barometric, were you guys set 
setting out specifically to work on podcasting or I've never really known what percentage of the business was podcasting and all the other medias out there? Matt Drangler came on board shortly after we started up as Barometric officially, separate from AdTheorem. And when we got the WNYC deal with Progressive, we saw the, the value there and we pivoted almost all of our outgoing efforts to podcasting. I think the Barometric product does work still for, oh, I know it does work for all the other platforms out there, but they, I would say very quickly, we pivoted to focus almost solely on podcasting. It didn't start that way though. It was started as an internal tool for adherence DSP. And then it became something that the external clients used for just rich media tracking pretty much. And then it went to just podcasting because there was such an, like a lack of competition at that point when we started. And now we have pod size, we have chartable. I'm very happy that there's so much competition in this space. So that's interesting that you should say that because I agree. I think that competition is really good and that it helps everyone, but it still doesn't seem like a crowded space when it comes to ad tech or especially when it comes to that kind of analytics attribution piece. Do you feel like uh, we've got more companies that are going to be coming in that same space trying to offer the exact same product? I think that right now, the the truth is that the information we get is all the same. And I think that one of the big things that I try and write about is that we have to be more collaborative on that. How do we get that information in? How do we make sure it's the same? How do we make sure that no matter if you're the tracking partner or the prefix URL or the hosting company, that we're all helping the podcast client and the advertiser see the same thing and not be confused. So it's not like the uniformity on what comes in needs to be better. But how you display that is really unique. Some of the companies are starting to focus more on things like household instead of individual. Others are focusing on the details of an episode instead of, uh, on, on, instead of just a specific campaign. I think there's a lot of competition for how you can visualize data. And I think that's where we're going to see the most exciting developments. But I don't know. I don't necessarily know that another technology company could step into the space and do something unique on the gathering side. But I think that if you had the raw data and you were really good at visualizing it, you could blow some of the competitors out of the water now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I agree. So one of the, the questions that I wanted to start with here is what exactly ad tech is? So if somebody's listening to this episode and maybe they're either new to podcasting or they're new to advertising and they don't understand what that kind of terminology means, what exactly is ad tech? And I guess, can you tell us a little bit about where you feel like ad tech is at in the podcast space? Yeah, ad tech, defining ad tech, that's a fun one. I think basically any technology that is directly related to advertising, right? If you look at podcasts specifically, you have a piece of it that's about the content, creating the episode, hosting the episode, and delivering it to the devices, the players, and all of that. That's just the podcast technology. The ad tech is how we put an ad into that, whether baked in or uh, dynamically inserted, how we decision when it's dynamically inserted, uh, all the different tracking you can do on the prefix URL before or when the episode is being requested or on the ad tracking when the uh, ad has been officially downloaded. I think ad tech is used as a negative a lot of times because it focuses on the, the that specific component, but there's a lot of creative ways to use it because we think of dynamic ad insertion as ad tech, but it should really be dynamic content insertion. So a lot of these things that we talk about in podcasting, we don't have to flavor specifically with ad tech. It's just an easier industry term. More than anything, it's creative and dynamic ways to track 
additional content that's usually advertisements. I think that you hit on a really good point. And one of the soapboxes that I always like to stand on is the power of dynamic ad insertion. But I think when we look at it, it shouldn't be dynamic ad insertion. Like you mentioned, it should be dynamic content insertion because what does it look like if we can take this information and give you a different intro because you live in a different place? What does it look like if maybe we can even structure all of our content around different measurements that whether that be your location or, or other indicators like that, how does that make our content feel more in touch with the person that we're speaking to? There's so many opportunities and so many different things you can do with that dynamic insertion feature. But I think a lot of times, uh, to your point, it almost feels like dynamic insertion gets a bad name. And the minute that I say dynamic insertion, everybody says, I don't like those pre-recorded ads. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a produced yep. radio sounding ad. It can be so many more things. Tell us what your thoughts are on how people should be using dynamic insertion capabilities. I think the first thing I would say is that it's the probably the biggest tool anybody has for brand safety. Your podcast is your brand or your advertisement is your brand. If you need to pull your ad or you need to pull an ad from your podcast, even if it's host read, you can't do that with a baked in without having to edit the podcast and re-upload it. So it takes work. You can do it, but you can't do it instantly. So being able to just remove that ad immediately, if unfortunately an advertiser you pick has an inappropriate thing to say on the internet or the host is involved in a scandal. Like being able to instantly remove your content, even host read is so valuable for what limited things we can do with brand safety. I think that another big example is I, I grew up in New England and we didn't have Sonic as a fast food restaurant, but it was cheaper to regionally target ads on TV for Sonic. And I think it wasn't until I was in my 20s that they had a Sonic in Massachusetts, but I'd grown up my entire life seeing advertisements for it. James Cridlin from Pod News, he'll tell you about how in Australia he constantly gets either no ads or he'll get ads for things he just can't purchase that aren't available in Australia. So using dynamic ad insertion to not waste inventory and to use for brand safety, I think they're really critical things. And I'm glad you agree with the content side of it. I talked to the guys over at Wushka recently, which has been really fun since I've moved away from one specific company. I've talked with everybody in the space now. Um, it's, it's so cool, the things that they're doing there. They use it for like internal messaging. They, they help companies build podcasts for like corporate structure. So instead of an all-hands meeting, you do a podcast for it and say you want to add something unique in for the people driving your trucks versus the salespeople versus the people sitting at a desk. You can target that with dynamic ad insertion and you can have different content. You can have the, the lower tier manager talking specifically to their team in there. You can have a reference to the next meeting if it's older historical content. I think the dynamic insertion is the thing to focus on, whether it's an ad or a content. I think it's really how you want to shape it. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I, I think that it's a very underutilized tool. And I think that unfortunately, because dynamic insertion is an upgrade for all, all hosting providers, I think that can be a barrier for podcasters moving in that direction. And I tell people that you should 
prepare your show to get ready for dynamic insertion. And that means if you're not ready to upgrade at this moment, you can still be aware of what you're doing in your shows. And if you take really good notes about each episode, then when you go back and decide that you want to make changes and you want to move toward dynamic insertion, that there's a lot more flexibility in that. So it doesn't, I feel like it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. I think a lot of times as podcasters in specific, I think people feel like, oh gosh, I'm not ready to invest in that. Or maybe I'm not ready to move hosting providers to a service that provides dynamic insertion. But as long as you're structuring your show in a way that you could eventually move in that direction, I really believe wholeheartedly, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, but I believe that I think within two years is my estimation that we will be almost entirely dynamically inserting things. Yeah, I'd like to see it sooner, actually. I, Me too. I, really, yeah, I hope all the hosts that listen to this consider the fact that it really should be a, a base included part of the platform. You know, whether you're charging on downloads or throughput or whatever metric you're charging on, having that option and making it accessible to everybody, you can have your limitations and how you want to handle it. I respect what Libsyn does with advertising, but I think that the big thing is that dynamic insertion allows for brand safety. It allows for security of what both sides are building. So whether that allows for programmatic or whether that allows for announcer red ads, different conversation. I think the technology is the big thing we need to focus on and everyone should have access to it because otherwise that ad is permanently in your episode forever. And they bought it once and it's forever there. I think what's so fascinating to me about it is that, yes, new episodes do get the vast majority of the downloads for a show. But in you're a content creator, if you've created hundreds of episodes, all of those add together, right? And one of my favorite sayings is that it doesn't matter when content is created, it matters when it's consumed. And at this moment, if I'm consuming something, how do I make that as relevant to that person today as possible? And we all know that you've got these digital footprints that are following you around the internet. Why not have capabilities, like you said, to control that message and really structure? And I think that goes from the perspective of an advertiser or a podcast, right? From either perspective, that having that control essentially over messaging is is just huge. And when you've got a product that's created that is not something that is easily changeable, it's really, it's very, like you said, it, you can change it, but it's very difficult to manipulate that content. So that dynamic piece gives you, I think, just a lot of power in controlling messaging that's going to go out. Regardless, it's going to go out. You might as well have it go out with something that's relevant to today. Completely agree. So let's talk a little bit about attribution in the space. So we know that with dynamic insertion, we have these capabilities of doing geotargeting. And I feel like increasingly, especially larger companies, are very interested in looking at geotargeting and looking at attribution pieces. So I guess let's start with this geotargeting idea. And I think, as you mentioned, it can be a little bit tricky because if you are a small town or you are a local company that is looking to advertise on podcasts, I feel like it can be a little bit trickier if I've got, let's say, uh, 
$10,000 budget or even a $100,000 budget and I'm looking to invest it, but I only want to reach these specific areas, it can be really difficult for mid-level podcasts in particular to deliver the quantity of downloads that are needed to really make an impact. Can you talk to us just a little bit about maybe some of the technologies that we're seeing with geotargeting and how maybe that could be changing the face of podcast advertising? When you make a request to download an episode, the only values that are sent from your specific device is the IP and user agent. And the IP address, if, you, if anybody goes into a website right now on Google and just types, what is my IP? You might have to type in, what is my IPv4 to get something that looks more like an IP address, depending on what your, web, your hosting provider is. You can take that and go to maxmine.com and you can scroll down and they have a geolocation by IP. And they say on their site that their accuracy is for city level, for their highest tier match, it is 48% accurate match, 2% unknown, 50% inaccurate match down to a city level. And uh, I wrote a whole article on that. I had a lot of fun digging in and showing the, the proximity from my house and my cell phone. And my house shows that I'm in the right town. It shows I'm one kilometer away. Their threshold is 10 kilometers. There's almost 1,500 people in a square kilometer in my town. Uh, so I could be any of those households. It shows for my cell phone, either Houston or San Antonio. I'm just above Austin. Those are not close, three hours and an hour and a half away. I think the biggest thing that you can do with IP is to look at city because these services really focus on where you're connecting from. And sometimes it can be as direct as your house if it's a Wi-Fi connection. Other times it can be from a cellular tower. But I think that city is probably the lowest I would comfortably go for specific geotargeting. I think state's super safe. I think country is 100% accurate almost all the time and very valuable to make sure that you're serving only in the countries that you're relevant to. But I don't think that we're going to get much more granular with that because I don't think IP is going to give us any more data. But what it can give you is the concept of a digital household, which might not have as much of a value. It's not going to say any closer than city. It might have that up to 10 kilometer radius, which may be valuable to some advertisers. But I think that it's going to tell you more likely how many devices are in that household because my IP for my household is still mine and it's personal to me. I'm not sharing it with any of my neighbors. So all the devices that connect through that IP are still part of my household. And while not geo, that's a, a digital household. That's another way to look at targeting people. I like that terminology of looking at a digital household. I've never really thought about approaching it from that perspective. And that's so interesting to me. I didn't realize, I knew IP addresses weren't 100% accurate, but I didn't realize they were that inaccurate. That's really fascinating. Yeah, the 48% accurate versus 50% inaccurate is what blew me away. I always thought it would be like the 2% inaccurate and 50% unknown because I'd rather get an unknown value than a wrong value. But it's... It's all interesting. And, and basically every device graph partner or uh, data partner in this space has something similar to that. And MaxMind wouldn't get public with their data if they weren't one of the better match partners out there. So I wouldn't expect anybody really to have much higher match. Even still, 75% match rate, 25% inaccurate, still really rough. But I, I question in this drive for data, if people really need deeper than city, do I need your postal address? Do I have to know your exact household? When I know your city and your digital household, I can still track an attribution because I know that the request originated in your digital household and 
concluded in your digital household or a device connected to it. That's the critical part for attribution. But for targeting, I think that even some of the biggest partners out there, targeting New York City is close enough. I don't right. think you need to get specific enough to Brooklyn because you'd be disappointed in how many times Brooklyn might show as New Jersey for people that are connecting there via cell tower. I think that's a really good point. I also feel like one of the things that gets overlooked a lot of times is that every time we put these qualifications on who exactly we're targeting, that piece of the pie gets smaller and smaller. And it sounds wonderful to be like, we are going to target the people who live in Brooklyn, who are age 35, who go to the gym four times a week, who weigh less than 150 pounds or whatever. It's really great to think if I just target the exact right person, then my sales are going to skyrocket. But you have to look at how many people are you actually reaching every time you put these qualifiers on. So I agree with you. I don't think that we need as much detailed information as everyone says we need. I think that information can be super valuable when you flip it and put it on the show. So let's take that example, right? Let's say that my city 48% of the time somehow the inaccurate ones and the unknown and you remove them or, or say it's even just cellular versus household. If you take that and you take all the information from me from a geo lookup or a match against Nielsen or a live ramp and all the demographic data that it says about my household and who I am, and then you apply that to the show, eventually you're going to see the households because we're not finding just me. We're finding every device in my household and my iPad might have different activities on it than my iPhone right? My wife's computer is going to be different than mine. So it's this giant pool of data. If you look at it as the household, and then you compare every household that you know to the episode and you create an index, then you're able to look at the episode and say, this episode skews towards people who, you know, want to buy a truck. Right. Over the baseline that we see in the industry, this episode is 10, has people that are 10% more likely to buy a truck. So therefore the show might have that value. And maybe we should target advertisers that way. Because I think that the biggest piece of content that we have, or the biggest piece of data we have is the content, really. And I think we need to start adding more attributes to the content or the digital household and stop pretending we can get the individual user. That is a fascinating approach. I really like that idea a lot because I think that it does have so much to do with content. I know, I remember I've got an older son and I remember before I was even at all interested in podcasting, he used to listen to Welcome to Night Vale. And he, like you said, he would have been a perfect match for the right advertiser, but it had everything to do with the content. He was consuming that show because he was very interested in that content. I would never have consumed it because it didn't interest me at all. But that's what's so amazing about podcasts, right? Is that we do get that. And I think, yeah, what you're saying is really intriguing because we have this ability to get in and look at the types of content that, you know, is being created. Yeah. And I think that I think Night Vale is a great example there. I, I like that one because I'm sure that your son has hobbies and stuff that don't line up necessarily with Night Vale's comment, content. He might be into mountain biking or something like that. And if he got a programmatic ad that was targeted to him about mountain biking, you're listening to this awesome audio drama and then you get a disruptive ad from a promo that has nothing to do with the content. And I, I can't remember where I read it, but I know I read it last week that said that audio advertisements that are not aligned with the content can actually be substantially off-putting to users. So it doesn't matter that your son might've been in the market for a mountain bike. 
it, it would have been easier to market some creepy new comic. Right. Or something like that, or a new, like some horror movie that's coming out or some suspense show on TV, because it's, it, it aligns with the content better. It flows. It sounds like part of it. it's believable, even if it's announcer read, that it could be part of that content piece. So I think that we really do look so much at the user and the, the content's killer. I think it's really where we need to shift back the focus, especially thanks to all this privacy improvements that Apple is pioneering. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's So you wrote a really interesting article that just came out yesterday or today about some of the changes that Apple's making and as well as the cookie. And I've I've been hearing the cookies going away and what's going to happen. You know, I feel like it's almost like our lives are going to come crashing down because the cookies going away is what, is the feelings that I get sometimes. But so tell, can you talk a little bit about some of the changes Apple's making and that cookie piece as well and how maybe that's going to affect podcasting? Yeah. So I, the big thing is that third party cookies were cut off from Apple and Firefox early this year. When Google made an announcement at the beginning of the year, Apple and Firefox both use a different uh, browser engine, WebKit, and they decided to just cut them off. And Google still plans to do it sometimes in 2022, but they've also backtracked and said if they don't have a better alternative, they'll stop. But third party cookies aren't all cookies. So if I go to a specific website and I take action on their site, they that domain, brianswebsite.com, can cookie me directly. And let's say that my cookie ID is one, two, three. And then they go to your domain and you cookie them and it's four, five, and six. We can't mesh that together, even though it's the same user, but we have attributes that if there was a central party we sent them to, they could create ABC, which is which includes my one, two, three, and your four, five, six. And that's where the industry's going. We keep talking about privacy and yeah, it's going to be very hard for a third party on a website or in an application to get this data from you and just collect it and collect it. Facebook can't put a pixel on anything they want. They can put an SDK in any app they want or that they partner with and just gather it. That app that you're participating in, that you choose to use and you give permission to, that you create a login for and you hopefully read the terms of service, which most people don't, that information now is what's going to be the focus. So instead of Facebook just being able to gather it directly as a third party, those separate partners, each of those sites and apps will have to team up with an identity partner, which is what they're calling the new movement in the space that takes all that first party data, marries it together and creates another ID. So I'd love to say that it's like fantastic, but now the onus is on the user. Every time an app asks, do you want, do you want to let this app track you? And you say, no, also read it, the terms of service for when you signed in by creating an account on that site, that app, you might be giving them the same permissions that you just said no to allow them to track. I think what's really going to happen in relation to podcasting is we're going to see a dip in this old style of how we were collecting data. And, and the dips tend to come and go as new devices cycle through. There's a high turnover for new operating systems because they release a new one there. And that resets your ID most of the time. Mm -hmm. We're going to see a cycle like that, but instead of just recovering immediately because you're going to the same experiences, now it's going to be captured in a completely different way. Apple decided to make the, the change instead of it being in fall, which truthfully would have very much disrupted Q4 advertising budgets. Um, they're going to push it to early Q1, Q2. But what it just means is that when that dip happens, we need to be ready to transition over to a different 
solution. Nielsen's got an identity solution on the way. I'm sure Claritas and True Optic and all these other companies in the space do. It's whoever gets it up and running the fastest is going to have the least downtime or the least dip in matches. So I didn't realize when I was reading through the information, I guess I'm sure it said third party cookie, but it didn't really click with me what that meant. So essentially, when I go to a website and I agree to their cookies, like that's a first person cookie or maybe second, I don't know, because I'm on their, I'm on their site and every site you go on now is, are you okay with us and our cookies? And I always say yes, because I'm okay with it. But when we're talking about third party, that's somebody that's totally unassociated with any of the things that I'm doing who's coming in and grabbing that information. So really we're looking at more than anything, that third party cooking going away. And then as you're mentioning, now we've got all of these other solutions that are coming into play, which essentially means we're just going to create another company that is able to process through all this information and then sell it to Facebook because they still need to get it. Yeah, kind of. I'm, I'm actually shocked that Facebook's angle isn't that they're going to just become an identity partner. They're poised to do it. Uh, That's so a good I, yeah, that's a good observation. Why wouldn't they do that, right? <laughs> yep. But I mean, you know, they took the cookie change really seriously. They shut off all of their audience network, which to be really clear, their audience network is only extension out of their, the, like facebook.com. There's no issue with facebook.com. This is advertising on apps and other platforms that use the Facebook software outside of the core Facebook application and website. And so audience network, once Apple and Firefox made that change, they just stopped serving ads for uh, websites. Right. Completely. So audience network died there. They're talking about how they're going to have to kill it off in uh, app as well, which is really interesting. So we'll see as Apple is under fire for their 30% cut of the app store and Facebook is saying things like this could end a major revenue source for all publishers on the app store. I think Apple's going to make some tough decisions. I think they're too far down the privacy hole to really backtrack a lot, but I really think that this is a lot of uh, horse and pony show that they're kind of just putting on the show that this is going to be a big deal because those identity solutions are going to knock it out of the park on getting right back up to speed. There's entire massive industries based on needing that data. And so what it comes down to as a consumer is you really need to reconsider what apps you use and what sites you use. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad idea to log out. It's not a bad idea to review the privacy readings of things. Use an incognito browser. Use a browser that doesn't allow any tracking or anything like that if it's concerning to you. But on the other side, sometimes, at least me personally, I'd like to get ads that are relevant to me other than things that I just purchased and they won't leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's so interesting to me because I'm calling on all of these different companies to try and sell ads to them. And the instant that I'm on their website, I'm just like, oh my goodness, they just follow me around the internet like crazy. But I think, in my opinion, I would rather see relevant ads, right? If I'm looking to buy boots and then suddenly I get ads for the next week, that doesn't necessarily offend me because I'm looking to buy boots. <laughs> I want these suggestions. I like these recommendations. So I think to your point, you have to be really aware of what the terms and conditions are, which I think most people are not. And then if it bothers you, then put some you know, practices in play to make sure that you can you know, avoid that. How So we've been talking about this kind of as a, a general sense, and I know you talked a little bit about how it applies to podcasts, but let's talk a little bit about that attribution space and what's happening in attribution and, and how attribution tracking may be affected by this. 
Yeah. So there are only two areas that this identity change will impact podcasting, at least right now. One is any hosting partner that targets us off of demographic or segment targeting. So partners that use Nielsen or Claritas, so Megaphone and Art19 are two examples. They're going to have a little bit of dip in what they can identify. So their match rates for identifying male versus female or their ages are going to drop when that change happens whether the change is switching to identity preemptively to losing that data or when Apple cuts it off and then the company makes a new, like a new movement towards that space. The other part is attribution because right now that third-party information is like your device ID. So if I, right now, if I run an ad for someone to download a new app, um, that ad in podcasting gets my IP. There's a strong chance that podcast, unless I randomly started streaming at outside of my home was something I subscribed to. So it's downloaded overnight or when I'm connected to Wi-Fi automatically. So it's a stronger IP match. It's my digital household. And then it tries to see from uh, any time after I listened to the episode or downloaded the episode rather, did someone in my household go download the app? And the only way apps can really do that is passing over that IDFA, right? Your ID for advertising. And so attribution partners in app are going to struggle a little bit. I know there's some uh, podcast partners. Actually, I think most of the podcast attribution partners, Podsite, Shareable, Barometric can all do that for apps. And I think that's where we're going to see a lot of struggle. And we're going to see some of the bigger industry players like AppsFire, Coachava, and Tune have to figure that out because it's really just connecting the dots there. But I think the other area is that they all use device graphs. So the attribution partner to be able to say my IP address is this digital household, what devices are in there, that's using that IDFA data, that cookie data. And so companies like TapAd are a great example used by Podsites and Chartable are going to need to figure out other ways to identify the other devices in those households to help them match for attribution. So do you think, and and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you're talking about just app downloads and app downloads, like tracking app downloads is a relatively new capability of companies like pod sites and Chartable, right? Uh, I think a lot of them have been able to do it for a while because what they really do is they partner with AppsFire, Coachava, Tune, these partners that are already mm-hmm. built into the app. And instead of putting a pixel on a website, you put a pixel into their system. So they've been able to do that for a few years. I think apps going to get hit hardest because IDFA is the currency and it, without IDFA, that's going to be an issue. But I think my digital household, what it looks like today with third-party cookies and IDFAs is going to be very different than what it looks like with identity IDs. Mm-hmm. And it might be less, there might be less tracking. Like I have eight devices in my house and they might show 15 devices in tap ad right now because of my parents visiting with their devices a few weeks ago, or a friend came by and, and was here for an extended period of time at night, enough to say, oh, we believe this device might be part of that household. And then they, you know, how they refresh it. But when they switch to identity, you might not be able to separate it as much. You might not be able to tell as easily that I was in an app versus a website. Or you might not see all nine of my devices. You might only see four because of what identity partner they picked. Mm-hmm. Please remember the big thing here is that there's all these identity partners vying for that information. So if I own a website and I pick one of the top three identity partners, then if TapAd uses the, one of the other two, 
my information or like my website's information is not provided to them. They don't have access to that. So I think the hardest part is we're going to see a dip in what the digital household means, but I think it's going to come back in a stronger way. I feel like to me, that's a positive because when I look at attributions and I think, okay, you do have 15 devices partnered with that digital household. I think really, you could sit there and you could say, okay, we've got the Fire TV, we've got the four laptops and five iPhones and you could. And if you've got a family, yeah, maybe 15 is a reasonable number, but it seems like a lot of the digital households that I've looked at through some of the attribution partners we've worked with, it seems like a really big number. And I always wanted to say, that seems wrong, right? It doesn't seem accurate. So maybe this will get us to truer data. Yeah, I think you'll see more used devices. I think Mm -hmm. you'll see the drivers of those actions. My iPad might be something that I read it on and do a few things, but I might only purchase things on my computer. My phone might be where I listen to podcasts, but I only sign up for new services on my computer as well in that scenario. I think that we're going to see some of those phased out. We're going to see a more holistic view of the household and we're going to have to be more comfortable with aggregate data because it's not wrong. If you can still tie it to the IP address, if you still know that household, we don't really need to get much more granular than that if we can find out more about indexing. Is this household leaning one way or another? Are the shows that people are listening to leaning one way or another based on the households that listen to them? That's I think that's more actionable and more realistic. I Mm -hmm. I truly believe all this focus on the specific household and the individual user is a holdover from digital into podcasting. And I think we, a lot of us have been telling people whatever they wanted to hear for a while because they don't want to be educated on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Just to boil it down. If anyone's not familiar with attribution, the way I explain it in the simplest of terms is essentially we can tell who was listening to the podcast and then we can tell when someone goes to the website and makes a buying decision. We can tell when they do all kinds of different things, depending on where we put the pixel on their site. But you know, that the basics of it, if people are totally unfamiliar with attribution, that's essentially what it is. And the value from an advertising perspective is that we've had so much direct response in podcast advertising where you have to enter this unique promo code or this URL that's specific to get this offer. And that's how people are tracking results. But then the beauty of attribution is that we don't have to have any of that. We can see that conversions are being made, which is obviously super important to advertise. Advertisers. And I think what's so fascinating to me about the podcast space is that it's changing so rapidly, as is all technology, right? The, the whole digital world and everything else in our world <laughs> this year in 2020 is changing quickly. But I, I think that there is so much that is still yet to be discovered or yet to be established in the podcast space. And that's part of what makes it a whole lot of fun to be you know, in involved in because we get to be right now, we are the people who are forming this industry and creating how it's going to move forward. And obviously, a big part of this whole conversation is all around privacy. How private are we? And one of the biggest challenges with podcasts is that when you're not on a device like a, of a phone or a computer, you don't have this kind of ability to opt out. And so I feel like that's been one of the conversations I've had certainly a number of times is the privacy issues around all of this with podcasting in particular, because I'm listening to something. So I don't maybe know that I'm being tracked. What are your thoughts or what is your input on the privacy piece of all of this? 
So when I think about privacy, I think about CCPA and GDPR, the whole practices of being able to opt out or opting in, depending on where you're located for people to track you. And I think that almost everybody in our space is probably compliant and silo, but you don't need to know as a listener what hosting provider or what tracking provider the show you listen to uses. You you shouldn't have to go out of your way to go opt out of them. In the very near future, I'm going to be putting forward a call to action for all the players in the space, Spotify, Apple, Overcast, anybody who has a marked impression or a percentage count on player space, really they're the ones who should handle opt out. Mm -hmm. And they should put that up there just like when you opt into a cookie, just like when you consent to give your information away and they should say, do you want to opt out of this data? Mm-hmm. And then from there, they should pass that on to the host, which passes it on to the uh, publisher of the podcast, which passes it on to all the attribution partners. Because being able to say that you want to opt out is something that has to originate with the user. And right. right now, it's not. There are five different steps. I have to opt out of every podcast, their network, the player, the host, the tracking. I'm never going to do that. And there's so much room for error because I have to be at home connected to my home Wi-Fi to get the right IP address stopped out. I think you make such a good point. And it's so important for us, especially when you're entrenched in the industry. I, I heard years ago that if you feel like you need to clean or organize your house, that you should take a picture of it and then look at the picture because you are so familiar and, and you've looked at this space so many times that you don't see what is actually there because you're so ingrained in it. And I think all of us in the podcast space, we're, we're so ingrained, right? We're all so invested that sometimes it's difficult for us to see from a user perspective what's, a, what's actually happening. I had a fun conversation yesterday at a little gathering I was at where people asked me what I was doing and just talking to them about what is a host red ad and what is, oh, is that why it sounds like that? And it's so fascinating because when we're in the industry, we feel like everybody gets it. Everybody gets this. This is super common knowledge, right? Yeah, for us, because we're in it. And I think when you're looking at privacy, that's a, you're spot on. When I start listening to a podcast, I'm going through Apple or iTunes. I'm going through Spotify. I'm going through Pandora. I'm going through Overcast. So I am not necessarily looking at this and saying, gosh, I hope the daily is not tracking my information because I'm not thinking about the fact that I'm going to the daily. I think about the fact that I'm going to Spotify. And, and yeah. so I think that's really like, where are these users connecting with this content? And granted, of course, there are some listeners that go directly to a podcast on their computer and listen through somebody's website, but most listening is happening through these apps, you yeah. know, huge majority. So why not start the privacy there? Because it's not that we don't want privacy. Everybody wants to be able to be transparent. I think, maybe I'm being naive, but I think people want to provide this privacy. But I also think that when we're looking at trying to build a sustainable advertising space in podcasts, we have to be able to play with all of the other entities out there that are providing such rich data. And if we are so limited, it's really going to, I think, handicap our ability to be able to grow as an industry. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? I think that you hit a really cool topic. And, and one of the main reasons why I started this is that we, we all rise and sync together. This industry, we're dealing with IP and user agent. We're dealing with the RSS feed. We are beholden to apps like Spotify and Apple. Spotify is not a podcast company. They're an app. 
whose content has podcasts. And so Spotify every day is going to beat every one of you on advertising because they're an app with a logged in user and they're able to target aggressively. And that's fantastic for them. But not all podcasts are 100% on Spotify. And so all the rest of us use IP and user agent. And one of the reasons I started all this was nobody wants to talk to each other but everybody has ideas for how to be collaborative. I've applied mm-hmm. to the IAB tech lab as an independent. I'm hoping to get in there. And I think one of the big things I really want to do is get everybody talking together, saying like, this should be an industry standard. These are things that we should all move forward on. There's no competitive advantage to counting downloads better. There's no way to do that. There's a way to gather it correctly and present it based on how you think it should be. But that gathering it correctly, we all have to be aligned there. And that's the space. We all have to stop trying to compete with each other on certain things, right? Like the foundational parts, compete on the higher level. There are different reasons to pick Megaphone versus Art19 versus uh, Triton and all these different partners. Super valid reasons, but none of them should be, how do we collect data? How do we fire a tracking pixel, a prefix URL? What is and isn't a download? And so we have to come together and focus there. And, And I feel like to me, Gosh, I started in 2016 in this industry and how to measure download, like that's been established. We don't need to keep talking about it because we already know. We've already got these building blocks and we've got that first foundational piece set. And what I hear you saying is, okay, now it's time for us as an industry to come together and work on some maybe more complex issues that really need to be addressed in order for us to really progress as an industry. I think, unfortunately, I think that's phase two for me because the truth is if you grab any two vendors and you trade download information from them on raw request logs, they're not going to count it the same way. There's going to be differences. Some of them will be small, but from prefix partner to prefix partner. Uh, <laughs> they are all different. Eh, I know they are. I know. And it's a headache. And it's something <laughs> yeah. that we need to avoid because that headache takes three hours of account management time on each side to dig into before you realize it's an engineering issue. And then three hours from an engineer, then you're 12 man hours into one campaign. And the end of the answer is we can't solve it. And that happens right. every campaign. Right. That, okay. So that is a good point. You're right. Because I feel like we definitely have had that issue ourselves where you've got one show, it's getting these numbers here. You transfer hosting providers. They're both IB certified. So technically they should have the exact same numbers and they have different numbers. And you're like, why is this different? But to your point then, really what you're saying is the download doesn't matter maybe as much as we say it does, especially when we can add all this other value. And ultimately, the way I look at it is it doesn't, downloads don't matter. What, re, what really matters is results, period. So results in what kind of content you're creating, who is, is getting that content in terms of are you building an audience? Does your audience like what it is that you're building? Are you hearing from your audience that they like it? And then from an advertising perspective, are advertisers getting results from the campaigns they run on your shows? And unfortunately, we do have to help with that results piece because it's not as always as black and white as, oh yeah, I ran an ad, I got a sale. So we need to help that process along. So maybe defining what a download is a passe conversation because it's never going to result in us coming up with the same number. 
Yeah, I, I hope we can get closer and I hope we can put a lot of that to bed, but I don't think you're wrong. I don't think everybody's going to agree 100% uh, because there's no hard rules. It's all best practices. Sure. Uh, but you're right. Download is not the most important thing. The results are really important and empowering people to make those results are really critical and not trying to copy everything digital does and realizing that sometimes podcasting is closer to radio or out of home. It is. And I know we need to start wrapping it up here. But one of the things that I always like to tell people when I talk to them is if you have online digital advertising in one hand and you have radio traditional out of home advertising in the other hand, podcasts are really in the middle. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with the fact that we aren't digital. and But we're also a whole lot better, in my opinion, than radio. So it's like, can't, we can be our own thing and we can be really good at what we're good at and we can be really honest about the information we can provide and do that to the best of our abilities and look at what differentiates us instead of maybe, maybe where the sameness is and there's nothing wrong with looking at that sameness, but what makes us different and better because of that. I completely agree. Yeah. Brian, thank you so much for being on the show. I could probably talk to you for another 30 minutes to an hour about all the fun stuff happening in podcasting. Um, but can you just tell us a little bit about where people can reach you and how they can get in touch? Yeah. So soundsprofitable.com will redirect you to uh, the pod news site where we have all of the articles. We have the first, uh, the fourth one posted up today. Very excited for that. You can email me at brian at soundsprofitable.com. I spelled it both ways, but I prefer it with the Y. So it should be easy to get in touch with me that way. I'm very excited to talk to basically anybody in the space. I'm doing this full time for a while to make sure I can talk to everybody in the space and see how cool and how far we can push this concept. Awesome. It was great having you on the show and I am sure we'll talk to you again real soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Take care. If you want to learn more about how to be a market leader in podcast advertising, reach out to us at truenativemedia.com.